Well, good morning. If you'd grab your Bible and turn me to the book of Colossians, I'm going to get there in just a second. We're in the second part of our series today uh, as we're going to walk through the book of Colossians over the next several weeks. And Colossians was considered a prison epistle. Uh, An epistle was kind of a formal letter in the first century. And so if Paul was writing today, it would probably be more suitable for him to write a blog than it would be an epistle. An epistle kind of has that deep spiritual uh, name and feel to it. But, uh, and so that's why we're calling this series The Prisoner's Blog, because Paul is writing this letter to the church in Colossae while he is in Rome uh, under arrest and basically in chains. And he is writing this letter to the church in Colossae as he's awaiting trial before Caesar because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And this week, we're really going to look at what we call the blogger's bio. Uh, Paul, the Apostle Paul, wrote more, the Holy Spirit used him to write more of the New Testament than any other person. And what's interesting is that Paul gives little glimpses of himself throughout his writings, but he doesn't really go into the greatest depth about his heart, about ministry. Uh, Paul's one of those kind of true grit kind of guys that he just never says dies, never says uncle, uh, never, never declares, you know, defeat or to give up. And so he has this real, this toughness about him. Today we're going to see how he kind of drops his guard and he kind of lets uh, the church in to see his heart. And, um, and so I'm actually going to take a little bit of liberty. I'm going to look at, we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14, and then we're going to skip down to verse 24 through 29. Then we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter, to chapter 4, to the end of the book, uh, to verses 2 through 4, because this is where Paul really deals all of these little segments throughout this letter, throughout this blog, throughout this epistle. This is where he's talking about his heart for the church. Now, he's really talking about a pastor's heart. And today, I'm going to probably preach somewhat very... Uh, uh, I'm, I'm a pretty transparent person, but I'm going to kind of really give you some insight into me. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm really going to talk to you because he talks about this pastor's heart. And there's two groups of people in this room. Majority of you in this room, you are not called to vocational ministry. You are called what we call marketplace ministry. We all know that if you're a Christ follower, that you have responsibility to, responsibility to do the work of the gospel. That we're all in ministry. And, uh, and so for those of you in that position, you're going to get a glimpse into what a pastor prays for the church, what a pastor wants to see from the people in the congregation, what a pastor kind of goes through, and some of the, the stresses, the struggles, the dynamic tensions that a pastor or a spiritual leader endures or, or walks through or whatever through this thing called vocational ministry. But there are some of you in this room, and you are wrestling, you are dealing with a call into vocational ministry. And maybe you're like me. You weren't raised in a pastor's home. And you go, what does that look like? What does that feel like? What, 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 what does that mean? Well, I really want to challenge you today because I'm going to give you an insight on what it means to pastor a church. What it means, from Paul's own word, to be a spiritual leader that's called to vocational ministry. As we set this up, I think it's really important for you to kind of get some background maybe on me. Um, and so a couple of years ago, Jay and I, Jay Snow, our creative director, we were in Dallas, Texas at a conference, and we grabbed a rental car, and we drove the three, four or five hours to my parents' house in Arkansas, and uh, we went to uh, a couple places there, and one of those places was the church that I grew up, 
and Cliff Terrace Assembly. And Cliff Terrace, when I was growing up, was a vibrant, growing church. We began, our family just had just moved to that community. The church was about nine months old when we first started attending it. And we saw it grow and develop. And, and, and from first grade all the way through uh, uh, graduating high school, all the way through my parents just moved from that area when they retired. But, but all the way until my parents, until uh, I, I grew up in that church. And the church today isn't what it was. And so there's some, you're going to see some things that kind of like, wow, it's kind of... Because the church today used, used to run hundreds, and now it runs about 30 people. Because of people became a bunch of navel-gazing, kumbaya, uh, we don't care about the community, we want to fight over the color of the carpet, which isn't all that good-looking anyhow. We want to do all that kind of stuff. And so people, and so the church, and you know when that happens, churches begin to split and splinter, and what used to be great no longer is, and God doesn't inhabit buildings or steeples and stained glass, he inhabits the hearts and lives of men and women and boys and girls. And so it's kind of a, it's a little bit sad. I kind of, Tammy said, she said, you really are kind of sober. And I, I said, it was kind of a, I hadn't been back in that building in years. And it was like, wow. So I want you to check it out on video, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to dive right into the blogger's bio. church where I grew up. Uh, it was called Cliff Terrace then. It's called Greater Vision now. Uh, the sanctuary looks much different. Um, this was this is the sanctuary room. Uh, then when I was here uh, growing up, it was uh, everything was green, kind of a mint green color. And uh, there were pews, set of chairs, and um, there was a, uh, if you can look up here, there was a, that was a full choir loft uh, on a Sunday morning, and people would come out the doors to the right and left and uh, the choir would come out in a big pulpit and uh, altars down front and uh, this is the church that uh, I grew up in and the uh, church that uh, man, I got saved and baptized the Holy Spirit and called the ministry and uh, this is it. this way and then one on the opposite side and the communion table was right there in the front but it was right here that we would go as teenagers we'd sit in the front and in the center and uh, the center section of pews and the right section and the left section and right here is where I spent more time praying was called to the ministry was confirmed in that call to the ministry uh, to go to Bible college and uh, just uh, I, there are so many memories right here where God met me right here in an altar uh, in church services week in and week out on Sunday mornings and, and on weekends that uh, showed up here. Uh, just a uh, just ton of memories. Right here is uh, where I probably preached my first message. There was a big, huge pulpit. Right here, a big pulpit. This room probably will seat about 500 people. And uh, this is where I preached uh, my first message. I was 16 years of age, and I, my text was uh, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And I talked about the power of revival. And, uh, and 
uh, I just remember preaching, uh, being nervous as, 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 as everything, and uh, but at the end, the people were so gracious here, and uh, the students that were here in the youth group, that they filled the altars, and God just showed up once again. Uh, that's probably one of my greatest memories at church, was the altar time of uh, being called to ministry and just the altars being filled. And uh, so uh, a lot of time spent in these altars. I saw that on Thursday because I hadn't visited that. You can tell I've grown my hair a little bit since then. And uh, when I saw that on Thursday, it was like, wow. And uh, I still, um, I still have a heart for that church. Um, I still, um, it, it, bu it bugs me because there's a part of the building that they don't have enough money to roof part of the building. And so they just have tarp paper and there's uh, an old dilapidated bus, because back in the 70s, we did bus ministry, and you picked everybody up and did everything, and those of you that maybe are in church in that time, you might remember that, and, um, you know, and there's just grass growing up in the cracks in the parking lot, and, and uh, um, it shapes you. Where you grow up, your church, where you're here, your kids, this will shape them. That's why it's so important that you find a good, solid church. And Paul talks, when he goes into verse chapter 1, verse 24 through 29, he begins to talk about what it means to be in ministry. And from that to today, there's been a lot of things that have shaped me, but I would very much resonate with Paul when he says this in chapter 1, verse 24. He says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what's still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, which is the church. For I become its servant by the commission God gave me to present the word of God in its fullness. And the mystery that's been kept hidden from the ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. So it's no longer a mystery, it's Jesus Christ. Verse 28. And we proclaim Him, admonishing and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all His energy, so powerfully which works in me. Now, it's on the back side of your bulletin if you want to follow along with some notes. But, but Paul basically says, hey, here's what ministry means. First of all, it means suffering. Verse 24, it means suffering. Now, when Paul uses this, 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 this phrase, he, he says that I, I'm feeling the, affliction, the afflictions of Christ and the suffering of Christ. He's not saying that he's adding to the cross because we know that Jesus Christ, when he died, before he died, he said it, it is finished. So Jesus paid the, paid the price. He, he, he did all of that. But because of the work that Jesus Christ did on the church, that day the church was born. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross, that day the church of Jesus Christ became into existence. And, and, and so because of that, everyone that serves in vocational ministry, uh, part, of, part of that, Paul says, there's a suffering that's involved. So it's not adding to the cross. It's just that ministry will involve pain. I, I've heard it said that the greater the, the greater the pain that you experience, the greater ministry that you'll have. The greater that you're broken, the greater God can use you. And there's a lot of people that want God to use them in a great way, but we don't want to walk through the pain. We don't want to walk through the struggle. We don't want to, but that's part of it. It's what Jesus did, it's what we will do, and it's part of ministry. And now suffering it means different things in different parts of the world. You need to realize as a Christ follower that 
this faith that you have, there are people today that by the time the sun sets, that will have died for their faith in Jesus Christ. That happens multiple times every single day. That there are people that are still being martyred throughout the world. But just for the simple fact that they believe in Jesus Christ. Just for the simple thing that you believe they're giving their life. There are people that are imprisoned and put into work camps and prison camps just because they believe in Jesus Christ around the world. Uh, but suffering is different in different parts of the world. For, for some, it may mean that God calls them to missions. And so they, they leave their home. They leave the, the nation where they grew up. And they pack everything they have. And they ship it in containers. And they go. And they don't come home to see their families for three to six years at a time. That's, that's a, a, a sacrifice, a pain that's involved. Sometimes God calls people to go to very difficult places and, and deal with very difficult people. A couple of years ago, I was in northern India. And, and, uh, and, and there was a man who basically blazed the trail in Tibet named Victor Plymeyer, who was the first missionary to Tibet. And he, his, he lost his entire family and had to bury them there and came back and had one convert to his ministry. But today there are thousands and tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of believers and thousands of churches in that region of northern India because someone was willing to go and suffer. As a church, as a pastor of a local church in America, you kind of live life in a fishbowl. It, it really hells in comparison to what other people have to do. But there are times where people scrutinize me because they say, well, you dress too nice or you don't dress nice enough. Well, your hair's too long, it's too short. You're too fat, you're too skinny. You live in too nice a house, not enough nice. Your wife dresses not, your kids, you're what? But, and you just kind of like, it's just part of it. It's just part of the deal. And, 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 and if you're looking to go into full-time ministry, let me tell you, it's not always easy. And if there's anything else in life you can do than this, do it. Let me say that again. If there's anything else in life that you can do and be happy, do it. There are some days where I just wish I could trade places with many of you in the seats. Because somebody said something completely false, completely out of con, completely, and you just have to smile and go, because it's just part of being a, being a pastor. It's part of being what it is. I talk to the staff. Hey, this is not the easiest job you're going to do in the world, and you are definitely not going to be compensated for what you do. Not that we're not going to, I mean, the church is, is we're, we're generous and we treat our staff well, but it's just in terms of what is expected of you uh, and, and, and sec, in the sacred work, it's, you, you're going to make two to three times in, in secular work. You may even get offers. There's just a sacrifice that you do. There's just a thing that you do. And Paul says, hey, man, make no mistakes. That's all part of it. Now, again, I, I love what I do. Don't misunderstand me. I, I, I have to pinch myself and think I get to do this. This is great. I love you. Love this church. Love what God's doing. I, there's nothing else in my life I could do. I, I, this is, I'm madly in love with, with ministry, but I'm just telling you, there are days where I go to Starbucks and I say to myself, self, there's an easier life out there. I'm going to drink this cup of coffee, and I'll make a decision. When I get done with this cup of coffee, I say to myself, Self, you can do it one more week. Come on. Mm. All right, anyhow. Secondly, Paul goes on to say that it's a life of service, verse 25a, that you are serving God by serving the church. And there's a tension there because here's the reality. Look, I, I, I make myself as a pastor. There's a board of elders. They, they set my salary. They take care of my compensation. I'm not in the room when that's discussed. Uh, there is a, a staff that I'm accountable to. Uh, I, I'm a part of a fellowship of, of, of churches 
uh, we are as a church where there's an accountability there to presbytery and to other, other people. There are men that I've asked that are men of, of faith that, that, that are in my life that I'm accountable to, that, that I have chosen and I've asked their involvement. I mean, there, there's, there's all types of people. But ultimately, I stand account to God. And that's way tougher. And that, that, that keeps me up a whole lot more than, than any other man that I'm going to have to stand in front of. Because ultimately, everything I say from this platform, I'm going to give an account to God for. Not just for how I live my life, but how I led this church. That I'm going to have to give an account for how I dealt with situations and how I dealt with people and, and everything that I do at Life Church. And God won't just judge my actions. He's going to judge the motive of my heart. To make sure there's no manipulation there. To make sure that there's no lack of integrity there. Because I may be able to fool you, but I can't fool him. And, and, and there's no gross center immorality in my life. But, but, but I am a person just like you. And I deal with real issues just like you. And, and, and when I decided that, that God, I, yes, I'll say yes to full-time vocational ministry, it became a life of service. And sometimes that means that I have to take it on the chin. And sometimes that means I have to eat crow. And sometimes that means I have to clean up messes that I didn't create, that other people created. And sometimes that means I have to be the bearer of bad news. And sometimes that means that I have to deal with a whole lot of junk that I don't want to deal with. But I know that I stand accountable to God for how I love my wife and how I treat my kids and how I lead this church. Paul goes on to say that, that ministry means stewardship. Verse 25, uh, the end of verse 25, the verse 27, that there's this message that's been given. And so missions and evangelism and that there's a responsibility that you've got to get this message out, that you have to leverage everything within your power to be able to get the message out, whether it's around the corner or around the world, that there's a real responsibility. That's why we've been encouraging you to give and to go and to get 100 people on mission trips and, and to do this. But, but Because at the end of the day, I, there... I didn't get into ministry because it was an easy life. I didn't get into ministry because I wanted to make a lot of money. I didn't get into ministry because I wanted to just stand up and talk. I do what I do every single day because what gets me up in the morning, what puts me to bed at night is are we leveraging this message? Are we communicating this message to people? Not are we just saying it. You've seen preachers on a street corner that are yell at you through a megaphone. That, that nobody listens. But do people hear what we're saying? And when people hear it, do they understand? And do they get it? There is something about this call into vocational ministry that, that I wrestle with, that, that sometimes I don't sleep, and sometimes that I don't eat. And some, I know that's hard for you to imagine. And sometimes that it really... But because it's, are we reaching people? Look, the average church in America runs 120. You may tell you why, because it's comfortable and it's easy. And if I wanted an easy life in ministry, I would just take a a country church or a small church and just kind of just hang out. I remember working for a pastor who came in at 10 and left at 2 every day and took a two-hour lunch. You do the math on how much he worked. I remember leaving his house as it overlooked a beautiful lake, a beautiful brick home, and, and I got in the car that night and I told Tammy, I said, this is as bad as it's ever going to get, babe. And she looked at me and she said, what are you talking about? I said, I watch this man. I can do exactly what he does. He comes in at 10. He goes home at 2. He has a two-hour lunch. I can do that every day. Look, you get a lake house to do that. I, that. It's not why I'm in ministry. At the end of the day, it's not about, like, more people because I, I need to feed my ego or, or let's, let's build buildings because we need to find something to do with money. No, 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 no. It's about the simple thing that there are people that are lost and they're hurting and they're hopeless, and we have a message that will give them life. 
We know someone who can change their marriage. We know someone that can help their parenting. We know someone that can help their kids. We know someone that can fill the void in their heart. And so as a pastor, I have this responsibility that I'm stewarding this message, that I have the same gospel that every pastor on the planet, every missionary, every minister that's ever walked the world uh, in the face of this planet, am I doing everything I can within my power, within my resources, within my influence to get this message out? Are we doing everything? And there are days where I will drive into communities and go, maybe we need to do multi-site. Maybe we're not growing fast enough. Maybe we're not reaching enough people. Because it's not about people. It's not about numbers. It's about people. Because every single person that we reach, every single person that's here, it's another story. It's another experience. It's another person. It's another life. It's another family. It's another marriage. It's another child. Every person. Don't shit at me because I'm after growing a church. Look, we count people because people count, and people were so important, and numbers were so important that the Old Testament gives an entire book to it. We are about reaching people, and that's what motivates me. That's what gets me. It's not about money. It's not about houses. It's not about cars. It's not about the size of a church or the size of a building or where it's located. It's are we doing every single thing we can in metropolitan Milwaukee to reach people for Jesus? That's it. And if you're going to be in ministry, don't go into ministry just to be the compassion connection, just to kind of have an easy road, to go in at 10 and leave at 2. If you're going to do this thing called ministry, you have a stewardship. To kind of give you a little bit of, of how I feel, uh, personally, the dynamic tension that's there, let me ask you a question. If everybody at Life Church gave of their time, their talent, and their treasure, if everybody at Life Church gave of their time, their talent, and their treasure, the way you give of your time, your talent, your treasure, what would Life Church look like? Well, could we even keep the lights on? Uh, brother, I just don't. Hey, no, 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 no. Come on, Christian. Let's talk about this. Because this is the dynamic tension. If everybody did what you did, what would the church look like? Would there be enough life group leaders? Would there be enough people working in ministry? Would, 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 would the church be filled to overflowing, or would it just be dilapidated and be kind of like my home church of 30 people? I'll let you marinate on that for a little bit as we go on. The next thing he says is sharing. Verse 28, sharing. That, it, that there's a responsibility, Paul says, that I have personally as a Christ follower to invest in the lives of lost people and to invite them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how that fleshes out in the church. I'm never going to ask you as a congregation to do what I'm not willing to do. I'm never going to ask you to give when I'm not going to give. I'm never going to ask you to go when I'm not going to go. I'm never going to ask you to invite someone to a relationship with Jesus Christ or to a church service that I'm not going to do. Those little invite cards that you get and that are about, about this weekend that's coming up in the month, I'm personally inviting people and I'm personally praying that those people will come. Why? Because I'm expecting you to do it. And I may walk up to you and say, hey, John, are you doing this? Hey, hey, uh, are you doing this? Hey, are you doing this? Hey, Val, are you doing this? Hey, are you doing this? Hey, Kevin, are you doing this? Why? Because I'm going to bring you toe-to-toe on accountability, but at the end of the day, you know that I'm going to do it too. See, I didn't grow up in a pastor's home, and one thing that I saw sometimes that really would bug me is I would see ministers who would ask people to sacrifice, working people to sacrifice financially or time or, or whatever it may be, or even give of their influence, and yet they weren't willing to do that. And that would bug me. That bothered me because there was an inconsistency. There was an inauthenticity about that. And Paul says, look, I have a personal responsibility to share this gospel. I have a personal responsibility to get this gospel out. I have a personal desire that I'm never going to ask you to do what I'm not willing to do. I'm never going to ask you to go where I'm not willing to go. 
So I unashamedly ask you to tithe because I tithe. I unashamedly ask you to give to missions because I give to missions. I unashamedly ask you to give to the building because I'm going to give to the building. I unashamedly ask you to invite people to a relationship with Jesus Christ because I'm going to. I unashamedly ask you to serve because I serve. And listen, you can ask any of the staff around here. We, we may be accused of a lot of things, but we're not accused of being lazy. Because this staff knows, hey, man, we are non-exempt uh, salary individuals, and that means that we're here when we need to be here in the morning, and we go home when the job's done, and that's what it costs. That's just part of a calling because we have responsibility. Because I'm not going to ask you to show up and give time of your weekend and volunteer, and then I'm going to sleep until 10 or 11 o'clock on Monday morning. Paul says, I have a responsibility. And the last thing he says, verse 29, is that ministry can, from time to time can be a struggle. There's a struggle that's involved there. Uh, ministry like work will be a struggle because the Bible says that when sin entered the world, the soil in which we work was, was cursed. Now, the Bible has this agricultural metaphor that runs from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And the Bible says that we will work by the sweat of our brow. And, and, and ministry is no exception, that there is, that, that there is this, this struggle that happens, that it doesn't just come together, that people don't just, get, don't just change themselves, and churches don't just get built, and people don't just... That, there's got to, that God works through this thing called the local church, and he works through what he calls the foolishness of preaching, and there's this responsibility. And, and, and I live with that dynamic tension, with that weight, with that responsibility sometimes. Am I doing all that I can? Are we reaching everyone that we can? Uh, because I want to stand before God, and I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. And you may go, well, that's, you know, that's kind of a crock, and, and, and I don't, you know, and what? i never forget hearing Billy Graham talk to Larry King and said, Larry, and... and, and uh, Larry King asked him a question about his faith, and he said, I can only hope that when I stand before the Lord, I hear the words, well done. And, and, and Larry King went, what? You are Billy stinking Graham. He didn't use the word stinking, but you, you're Billy Graham. I mean, look at, and he goes, no, no, the older, the, the longer I live this life, the more I realize the stewardship and what's involved here. And the more I realize how holy he is and how unholy I am. There's a struggle. I had a pastor tell me when, when, when I told him I wanted to, to be a part of a pioneering a work in a church, and he said, never underestimate, Aaron, what it takes to put the, the microphone on the stand on the stage. Yeah, 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 I got it, I got it, I got it. Yeah. There'll be a day where this property will be paid off because we own the shopping center, and, and we will build phase one, and it will be a beautiful building, and and not that it's all about buildings, but it's just going to be a tool to reach more people. And on that day, man, it's going to be nice and packed, and people are going to be excited. They're going to be walking in the doors and how great this is. And, and you and I, we will have, like, burdened together to, like, you know, Prime and Prime 29 and give, Betsy give, the family's got to live. And we will have leveraged everything, and we will have a story to tell. And there will be people that will walk through Life Church's doors for the very first time. And they'll say this, wow, did you guys just start? And in that moment, there's going to be this righteous indignation that's going to come over you that you just want to just like, just, I'm just going to pull a full can out on you. You know what I'm talking about? Like, do you want this now or later? Let's don't mess up the new four-year. Let's take it to the parking lot. And, and in that moment, I would tell you, just understand, there's been a struggle to get to that place that they don't know about. There's been a price that's had to be paid that they didn't pay. But you have the benefit of the growth of that struggle. And you have the benefit of that journey that they don't have. 
Because ministry is not easy. Doing what we're doing here as a church is not easy. And it's not just my responsibility. It's all of ours. I just have a part in it. I don't grow it. The Bible says that Jesus is the one that gives the increase. Now, Paul goes on, and he goes from, from this whole thing about what, what ministry is and the purpose to, to his passion, to what he prays for. Let's look at this in verse number 9 through verse number 14. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we've not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with all the knowledge of his, of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As we pray, this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, that you may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might, so that you may have the great endurance and patience, and joyfully giving thanks to the Father, who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the kingdom of life. Verse 13, For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption through the forgiveness of sins. Here's what Paul's saying. Look, as a pastor, here's what I pray for you. As a, as, a, as a spiritual leader, here's what I pray for you. And I would tell you that when I read that and I began to research that and look at that, I went, man, that's exactly what delights me as a pastor. That's exactly what, what I love. That, that's what puts a smile on my face. That's, that's, kind, of a, that's kind of the win. That's the scorecard. That's, that's the scoreboard. And, and this is also a great list of characteristics for Christ followers. Paul says, first of all, he's kind of going with this whole agricultural growth analogy. First of all, that you live for God. Verse 10, the first part of verse 10. That you live for God. There's nothing that's more exciting to me than see someone making a decision to, to serve God, to live for Jesus Christ, and then just to choose to live the life. It's exciting. It's exciting because there's many of you that I look at, and I know the day that you came to Jesus Christ, and I remember the moment that you gave your life to Christ. And every time I see you, I remember what Jesus Christ did in your life, and it excites me, and it puts a smile on my face. And it's just another reminder and another reminder and another reminder of the grace of God and the goodness of God and the thankfulness of God that, that, that I have. And your life is like, a, it's like planting a fruit tree in the backyard uh, uh, of your house. It, it, it's, like, it's like seeing a, a tree that, that's planted. And every time I see you around town, and every time that I see you living the life, it's just exciting. Every time I see someone from Life Church and I run into you at the restaurant or at the gas station or at the grocery store, I see you out and about at a school event, it's just exciting. It just, it just delights me because I go, man, just to see God working in their life. You ever want to know what puts a smile on a pastor's face? That's it. Paul goes on to say, the next part of verse 10, is that they bear fruit. Not only are you living for God, but you're bearing fruit. That this fruit tree that's been planted is growing. That, that you're seeing the, truth, the, the tree grow. That it's developing. That it's producing fruit. Because the Bible says that we are to be fruitful as well. And there's something awesome to see. When one person who's made a decision to live for Jesus Christ, they live for Jesus in such a way that they're telling other people about Jesus. This past week, we, we, uh, we had, a, we had some, 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 uh, some leaders here uh, in the community at our, at our facility, and a person that attends Life Church is a part of that organization, and, and they asked me, hey, pastor, is there any way that I could show uh, my friend here uh, the, that had dropped by? Is there any way I could show them the, the auditorium so they could kind of see what's going on? And I said, sure. And so I stood right back there in that threshold of the doorway coming into the auditorium, and, and I just answered some questions that was asking me, but I didn't initiate any of the conversation, and it was so awesome for me to see that person who I, knew before, who I knew their life before Christ, I saw them give their life to Christ, I've seen them grow and live their life for Jesus Christ, and then that individual is now telling another individual, it's like one beggar telling another beggar where to find food, and, and man, it was just, I was just like beaming from ear to ear going, this is awesome, this is incredible. I went home that day and I told Tammy, I said, we, we do a thing around the dinner table with, with the girls, and we, you know, what's your high, what's your low, that was my high for the day. 
My high for the day was seeing someone in our church whose life's been changed, just communicating that to someone else. And I had a grand stand. I wanted to have like a bag of popcorn and a Diet Coke. I'm just telling you. It was, this was better than any major motion picture. But it's just awesome. And Paul says, man, to see you bear fruit, to see you grow. It's like seeing a, a fruit grow on, the tr- on a fruit tree in your backyard. And then he goes on in the last part of verse 10, and he says, to see you grow in God, to see you fruitful year after year after year after year after year. Because you know not all the trees that you plant make it, and not all the trees that you plant that make it bear fruit, but those trees that bear fruit year in and year out and year in and year out, there's something that's encouraging about that. And I want to say that to those of you here. Because there's... There's a lot of new believers here. But there's about a third of our congregation that you're mature Christ followers. You're not crusty Christians. You're not navel-gazing, kumbaya, go go, go to the hell community Christians. You are here every single weekend. And you leverage your time and your talent and your treasure in order to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And you, not only do you espouse it with your lips, but you believe it in your heart that church doesn't exist for you, but that you exist to to reach the community and in serving the community that God will serve you. And you stand with me week in and week out. And it's not that every music and every song selection is your choice and every message is your choice and everything that we do is, but you're here and you're involved and you're committed. And I want you to know that I recognize you. I want you to know, for those of you in this room, about 30% of you in this room, I want you to know that I thank God for you. You have no idea what an inspiration you are to me. You have no idea what, what it means to me to see you here because I realize what I'm giving week in and week out doesn't always, like, you know, doesn't always kind of fill your cup. I know that you're, you're digging deep in God's Word for yourself, that you're feeding yourself, that you're, that, that you're growing and nurturing yourself, and, but, but that the fact that you understand that church doesn't exist for you. And Paul says, man, for those of you that are bearing fruit year in and year out, you have no idea what a and an encouragement that you are, and that you are my prayer for every new believer. You are my prayer for every, every young believer. You are my prayer that every person in this church would be like that. Can you imagine what church would be like? I, I've never been a part of a church like this. This is my dream. I don't think I've ever said this publicly. To see a church where every mature believer was on page with church doesn't exist for me. We are here to win this world for Christ. You want to talk about stinking off some services? You want to talk about God showing up? You want to talk about the power and the presence of God? Because where sin does abound, grace does much more abound. You want to see God pour out his glory? You want to see a dispensation of God's grace theologically that you've never seen in your lifetime? You don't just have a bunch of holy, huddle, Christian, navel-gazing, kumbaya, my Lord. Go to, the hell, go, go to hell community, my Lord. You have, you have a bunch of people that say, we are here about lifting high the name of Jesus. We are here about presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. We're here about leveraging every single thing that we have because we know our time is short. We know that Jesus is coming back. And we know that only what's done for Christ will last. You have a group of people like that. You will change your city. Just tell you my dream. Paul says that's what's awesome. And he says there's also times, because we also know that it rains on the just and the unjust. He goes on to say that there are times of testing. Where I pray for these three things. Strength, verse 11. Endurance and patience. I pray that you have strength, that you have endurance, and that you have patience. 
I pray that you don't quit. I pray you don't become weary in well-doing, that you have strength, you have endurance, that you have patience, that you run the race, that during the times where times are tough, during the times where you want to quit, that you don't quit, during the times where, where, where the wind and the waves of life will try to topple your ship, will try to bow you over, that you will stand firm. 2009 wasn't a fun year for our country, but let me say something. It's been amazing to me to watch the faith of some of you and how you've just stood firm in God, how you've gone forward in God, how you've had strength in God and endurance in God and patience in God. Because sometimes this, 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 this life, there are desert seasons, and sometimes you don't feel God, but yet you continue to lift your hands and you lift your voice. Sometimes you don't feel like clapping, but yet you, you clap because the Bible says clap unto God and, and lift your voice unto God and lift your hands. You know that's all biblical, don't you? Read, read the Old Testament. All that we're doing in, in a worship service, we didn't come up with that. Don't go, well, that's just how that church does it. No, that's how the Bible does it. Well, the church I was raised in, well, they didn't do it the way the Bible does it. And I got a rude awakening for you. You get to heaven, you are really going to be sorely disappointed. Because it ain't going to be like. It's going to be like, whoa! I mean, it's going to be better than any, any event you've ever been at in your life. I mean, I don't have time to talk about worship. But, but, but to see people eating during down times, worshiping and praising God, living for God, trusting in God, teaching their kids to trust for God, choosing, choosing to, to, to have faith in God even during those difficult times. It's amazing. And I pray for your strength. I pray for your endurance. I pray for your patience. I pray that God help us not become weary in well-doing. For in due season, if we don't quit, Galatians says we'll have our reward. The other thing that, that's a passion, that's a desire for a pastor for his people is joy. The end of verse 11 says that they're joyfully following God. Joy. Can, can I just tell you, this is one thing I love about this church is that we laugh. You even laugh at my corny jokes, and I'm thankful for that. But... But, but we laugh. Have you ever been to a church where they don't laugh? The seats are harder in those churches, aren't they? I don't care how soft they are. They're just harder. And the room's colder. I don't care how warm it is. And the sermon's boring. Come on, we can talk about Let's just talk about pastors, right? We're not talking about me. That's fine. I'm okay. It's boring. Wah, 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 wah. Even the prayers are boring. It's like, oh, my goodness. Oh, I remember going to church one time. I shouldn't say this, but I will. My wife's not here. And I said, if that's what, what I have to go through to get to heaven, I think I may take my chances with hell. That service was the boringest, longest. Oh, my. Oh, the guy preached. And you think I preached a long time. It was an hour and 45 minutes. I was like, can we at least get like an intermission for this? I mean, what? Give me some break here. But, man, isn't it fun to go to church where you can laugh? Isn't it fun where you can smile? Isn't it fun to go to church where like, you can have a good time? I mean, we had a marriage conference here this weekend, and 70 couples came here, and this room was full, filled full of married couples, and we were laughing, and we were talking about everything from conflict management to sex. And, I mean, it was a good time, and, 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 it, and just that. And, and I mean, and, and you just, you know, two weeks ago, we had 400-some-odd students that were here, that were here for, for, for the one night, and these kids were having a good time. And, and it's just exciting to be a part of a church that has life, and it's, that's full of fun. And, and can I tell you, church should be fun. It, it, you go, well, I think it should be somber and serious. Well, that's fine. Go to your somber and serious church. But the rest of us are going to have fun now. And then when you get to heaven, you're going to really find out what the party's going to be like. The Bible says that every time that one person who's lost comes back home, that heaven throws a party. And the party isn't, oh, come on. That's man stuff. God's, I, I don't have time, but I just joy. 
Just joy to see people laughing and to see that and, and the kids and all of that kind of stuff. Well, you know, I don't know, man. You, you got those video games down there and that kind of a deal. Call it what you want to call it, but they'll do that for about 10 minutes and they'll go in. They have live worship. Do you know that now? There's a live band for our kids. It is so smoking hot. And there's this live band for the kids, and they're worshiping, and they're doing this. And, and, uh, and it's just a good time, and they're learning how to worship the Lord. And then they're getting a good Bible lesson where they're getting it. They understand it. They like it, and they come back. What's wrong with that? Are you tired of fighting with your kids to go to church? Number one thing I hear from parents, my kids cry when we leave, and they want to come back. Good. That's how we have it. It's all in the Kool-Aid. All right, here we go. <laughs> Gratitude, Paul says in verse 12. Gratitude. Don't, don't email me on that comment. Thank you. It's where God's your source. He says you live with this gratitude. You live with this gratitude. It, where God is your source. Can, can, can I just tell you? I don't mean this to be a mean in a, in a, in a, in a cruel way. And I, Honestly, I don't know what you give week to week. Because the church is at a size. I, there's just no way. But here's the reality. If you show, me where, you show me someone's checkbook and you show me someone's calendar and I'll tell you how passionately that they have gratitude, that God, if God's their source or not. You can get mad at that all day long, but I'm telling you, it works every single time. Because if someone really loves something, they're going to give to it of their time, their talent, and their treasure. And if they don't, it's just lip service. And we've all been around Christians who say, oh, yeah, brother, I love God. Oh, 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 oh. But, you know, I mean, don't be fanatical about it. I give God 10 bucks a week, and I think that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> oh, man, come on, you know, I'm, I'm here for an hour. Sometimes you really go a long time, like this morning. I may be for an hour and 15 minutes. I mean, that's a pretty good port. I mean, come on. Paul says, I pray that you have gratitude, that you live life so that you realize that God's your source. That you live life in such a way that you realize that God is your source. That God is the one who's making it happen for you. That God is the one that's blessing your life. That God is the one that's blessing your children. That God is the one that's prospering your ways. That God is the one that's directing your paths. That God's the one that's giving you favor. That God's the one that's giving you insight. That God's the one that's giving you wisdom. That God's the one that's giving you doors. And he's the one that's protecting you through the downtimes. And he's the one that's going to carry you through the valleys. And he's the one that's going to walk with you and talk with you. It's not going to be me. It's going to be him. And when you get that, when you download that into the mainframe of your heart and you get that, really, 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 then all of a sudden what begins to happen is there's this gratuity that comes. There's this, there's this generosity that comes. Well, but now we're in the upper Midwest. I get this sometimes. And you know, we're just kind of conservative. Whatever. Dude, I see what people... Let me say one word to all the men about conservatism. Cabela's. There is nothing cheap about that place. The mall... The other day I was there for, uh, to, to, to pick. I had to park all the way out on Mayfair Road because all those people in there spending their money, having their bags, things everything good. When you have gratitude towards God, you don't just scheme to save, you don't just scheme to spend, you scheme to give. When was the last time that you sat down and you schemed to give? What do you mean? I mean, I mean when was the last time, Christ follower, that you sat down with your spouse and go, you know what? Maybe this year we could do just a little bit more for missions. 
Let, let, let's, let's sit down and let's, let, let's have lunch and let's just see what we can do. Let's see if we can move some things around so we can do something. Maybe, maybe, maybe we could do a little bit more for this. Or, or you know what we know and need in our, in our neighborhood. It's not about giving all these to the church. Well, we know a need in our neighborhood. And, and do you think maybe we could help? And we know about this single mom and she needs a car. And we've talked about it and everything else. And maybe we could do something for that single mom and just give her a car. That's what Paul's saying, man. I pray for the gratitude of the people. I pray, not, not because they're given to me. I, I, I pray that they get that God is their source. It's not the church, it's not whatever. And he goes on lastly and he says, hey man, I pray that the people, that you remember the journey, verse 13 and 14, that you remember from whence you've come. The Old Testament calls it the old landmarks. Don't forget the old landmarks. Don't forget from which you've come. Don't forget where you came from. Don't forget those things. And I'll never forget those times in that church. I'll never forget my youth pastors. I'll never forget, you know, we, we showed, showed me walking down a hallway, that little narrow hallway, second door on the left, Sister Katen. She was my first grade teacher, my first day there. I walked into the room. She had a burnt orange swivel little chair because she couldn't stand up. She was an elderly woman. Why in the world she put up with us first grade boys? I have no idea, but God bless her heart. And she sat there. And, and in the corner right here was Craig Henson and Darren Huckey. And I walked in, that was my first day. And Sister Caton, I will never, ever forget my first grade Sunday school teacher. There are rewards in heaven for that woman having to put up with three of us boys. But there's reward in heaven for what she downloaded into my heart. I'm here today because of people like Sister Caton. I'm here today because of youth sponsors. Not youth pastors, but youth sponsors like Randy and Kathy Craig who spent umpteen amount of hours in my life. I'm here today because I saw godly men and women live their life out and stand for God. I'm here today because of a church that invested in me. I'll never forget those times. I'll never forget those mission trips. I'll never forget those camps and those retreats. I'll never forget those moments at the altar. And, and because of those times, because of that church, it, it, God used those people to help mold me and make me into what I am today. I haven't lived in that city since I was 18. When I left for college, it just never happened that way. That's kind of a lot of times that's ministry. But I remember the journey. And everything I think in context comes from that church. And there have been times, if I can just be really honest with you, that I've prayed and I've asked God and I've said, let me go back. Because it breaks my heart. I talked to the, to, the, to the state overseer and told him, said, listen, I have connections with some people that we want to see something happen in that city because nothing's happening. And if you have anyone, I will fly down. I will interview them. We will get the resources together to plant a church that will reach that community because it breaks my heart. That's what Paul's saying. Don't, don't forget the journey. And the last thing that he says, and I'm wrapping up with this, I promise I am. As he says in chapter 4, verse 2, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains, and pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Paul says this, I've talked about my prayer for you, I've talked about the call in the ministry, pray for the message and the messenger. 
Would you pray for the message and the messenger? Would you pray that the message that we're proclaiming will get out, that people will understand it, that it will make a difference, that, that, that we'll be able to reach people for the kingdom of God but because we know that there's a, a real devil and there's, there's a real hell and there's, there's a real hell to shun and there's, there's a real heaven to gain and, and our time is short. And so would you pray for our message? And lastly, would you pray for us? that we finish strong, that we live the life, that we serve well the church, that, that, that we endure, that we have strength, that, that, that we acknowledge God as our source, that we keep the joy of the Lord as our strength, that, that, that we don't become weary, that we don't quit, that we don't default, that we don't give up, that we don't give in. So today, I ask you as a church, and I've never done this, I've never stood in front of a group of people and asked them to do this, but I ask you today, I'm asking you, as Paul asked the church in Colossae, would you pray for us? Would, would you pray for our message? Whether it's Pastor Kevin who's down there with the children to, right now, to, with your children, that the message is clear, whether it's Pastor Elisha who's going to preach to your kids on, on junior high for middle school service and high school service on Wednesday night, would you pray for me that the message that every time I stand behind this platform, I stand on this platform, that I'll serve up the bread of life hot and fresh, will you pray that, that, that it will be anointed? Will, will you pray that it'll make a life difference, life change in people's lives, that people's lives will be changed and that God will use it? Would you, would you pray? I'm not asking that you pray that it's funny. I'm not asking that you pray that people want to hear me. I'm not asking. I just pray that the message that they walk out the doors and go, I understood what he said. I got it. I, I got it. And, and we, we, would you pray for us? That every one of us, would you pray for our marriages? Would you pray for our homes? Would you pray for our kids? That we will be able to serve you well. That nothing that we ever do or say will bring reproach upon you or the body of Christ in this community or anywhere. That we will finish the race. Never forget setting at commencement. From, from, from graduating from Bible college, from theology school, and sitting there, and, and the speaker said, look around, because only 25% of you will make it to retirement. 75% of you graduating will not be there to cross the line into full-time vocational ministry. That's how difficult it is. I'm 38. But I, can, I don't have enough fingers to count the number of marriages of friends that I started ministry with personally that are divorced and are not in ministry. Would you pray for us?